if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been looking at a, a, a kind of an overview of what the Spirit is doing, not only in our lives, but in the world and in the church and, and, and what, how we might respond to that. And I began by saying that, you know, in the sort of the second verse of the Bible, the Spirit is at work. And in the final two verses of the Bible, the Spirit is making that big plea to his creation, come. Come you that are hungry and thirsty, come and receive. And from the beginning to the end of the Bible story, the presence of God by the Holy Spirit sort of is, is everywhere. And uh, God never leaves us to our own device. He never just says, do the best you can. And, and more particularly, he never says, these are my standards, just can you work really hard to be that good? Through the death of Jesus and through the power of the Spirit, he enables us to live, really live, uh, for his glory. And today what I want to do is spend a little bit of time talking about the Spirit and the church, really, um, about what the Spirit would want to do in a church like ours. And indeed, what the church Spirit is doing in a church like ours. It's not that nothing and you know, we, we've got to ask God to start doing something. But actually, what is God doing pretty much all the time in a church like our own? The passage that we're going to use to reflect on this is that one in 1 Corinthians 12. Before I read it, the only thing you need to remember, and many of you will know this, is that the church in Corinth was probably the most troubled church in the New Testament. It was a place, Corinth itself was this gateway city. And um, it was a city that was uh, quite promiscuous. It had many ways of being religious. And it was actually quite a difficult place. It was very, very prosperous. It was a very difficult place to be a Christian, really. And the church in Corinth, they had perhaps naturally, in the way that many of us do, had kind of taken on the shape of Corinth. And when Paul writes a letter to the church, the church he founded, He's got to deal with a number of different problems that they've got. But the biggest problem that the church in Corinth have is that they're too Corinth-shaped and not enough Jesus-shaped. And that's actually what Paul's wanting to do in his letter. He's trying to reshape them. And I think it's not just a Corinth problem. But we take on our culture so very easily. And, and God's always wanting to say, actually, I want to reshape you. I want to do something. And so one of the things that they had problems with was their church life. Because their church life pretty much mirrored the rest of society. So people were sort of like going, um, you know, well, we're, we're a group that are for this. And we don't like them people. And, and, and some people were going, well, we think we can act like that. But other people were arguing with them. And, and in the middle of them were a group who said, we're the really spiritual ones, and the rest of you are rubbish. In other words, in a culture that had been very, quite proud in Corinth, where you'd sort of like, if you were wise, you were at the top, and if you weren't, you were at the bottom, and everybody knew their place. Paul's trying to say, actually, it hasn't got to be like that here. God's going to do something quite different if you watch. So this is how he begins. Now, about spiritual gifts, or another way of translating that would be just about spiritual things, brothers and sisters. I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. 
Therefore, I tell you that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in everyone. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given through the Spirit, the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. And all these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. We're going to come back and look through that passage. One of the questions that um, needs to be asked from time to time is, what's church for? And uh, every generation of Christians for 2,000 years, every generation have had to ask that question. What are we here for? Because actually, it's easy for us to slip into something other than we were created for. It's easy for us to slip into being a sort of like a, a little gathering of people who are kind of a nice people. We're friendly people. And it's a place where you find friends. And you can easily slip into that. And if you slip into that, there's no bad thing, by the way, of being friendly and being nice and having friends. But it's not why we're here. We're not some sort of like friendship agency for lonely people. Do you know what I mean? To say, are you lonely? We can find you a friend. And then you sort of spend your time looking around going, there's nobody here. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We're not a friendship agency. We're not a sort of a place where once a week you come to get a top up with God. And then you sort of do your bit for the rest of the week and then it sort of depletes until you come back into the station to get a fill up again. No, it's not, it's not what we're about. It might be actually what happens, but it's not really what we're about. And um, nor is it actually about encountering God by being led by gifted people. So Ian and the band and musicians, and we got a, a lot of musicians in our church, and you know, a lot of gifted people. And it's actually, it's really nice when they're playing. Yeah? Yeah, it is. It's, it's good. No, the answer is yes. <laughs> in case some of you are wondering. The answer is yes. And um, it's easy. And, you, and, and sometimes in the midst of that, even for the most ones of us who lack musical ability the most, some, somehow, some way, the music will find a way into your heart that other things wouldn't. And it sort of almost bypasses your guard. And suddenly you find yourself going, ah. That song we were singing before, um, before we took communion, when we got to the chorus bit that says, all our hope is in you. For me, that is such a crucial line. And uh, as we were singing it just for myself, it's like, yes, God. Whereas actually, the truth is, three minutes before, I wasn't thinking that. I, d I mean, I, d I wasn't hopeless. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I wasn't sort of losing hope. But it's just that actually someone had led me into the presence of God, and I was able to go, yes, God. But actually, that's not the primary reason that we have church. All those things are good things, but that's not what we're really about. 
Let me tell you what Paul thinks the church is about. The Paul, Paul thinks the church is a community that has been transformed and is being transformed that demonstrates a different world. The church is a, a community that's been formed, that's been transformed and is transforming so that it demonstrates a different way of living. And the reason we do that is because of that central phrase, Jesus is Lord. That's the centrality of our faith. It was good to hear Richard pray at the beginning about the majesty of God. It was good to hear Mary uh, read that bit from Colossians to remind ourselves that Jesus is Lord, not only of my life, but Lord of the universe. Some of you are old enough, and I'm, you may have heard me say this before. Some of you have been with me so long, you've heard everything I've said before. But um, you know that little song, Jesus, he is Lord, he is Lord, he is Lord, he is risen from the dead. And Some of you don't recognize it from the tune. But there's a little chorus that we used to sing years ago called, he is Lord, he is Lord, he is risen from the dead and he is Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in those days... Way back in the 1970s when that was a brand new spanking new song that was very cutting edge and avant-garde. We used to sing it and we used to start by singing, He is Lord. We used to sing that about two or three times. And then spontaneously, we would then move into, He's my Lord. And we'd sing that and then we'd, we'd close our eyes really tight and because it became very much more personal. Now what we were doing is we were actually declaring and demonstrating our own commitment to the Lordship of Jesus. But the problem is, if it's only that Jesus is my Lord, that's actually not big enough. We come together to declare that he is the Lord of the whole universe. That Jesus, the crucified one, is by his resurrection, Lord of all the universe. That's what we mean when we say Jesus is Lord. It's not just that I've made a decision to follow Jesus, but actually Jesus is Lord of all. And we bear witness to that. So we have a vision of the world through those lenses. And we model something different. And we suggest that this is the way life was always designed to be. And then we get chances to practice. You've heard us talk about Vera before. Uh, Vera's a, an older lady in our church, 90 years old now, and she's really frail. And there's half a dozen of you that go in on a very regular basis, about half a dozen of you. And her body is failing and her functions are failing and you go and you care for her. And when we do that, we say we want to model a different way. Some of you sleep in Mount Chapel once a month or so at Boaz, when the Boaz organization who picks up people who are homeless and they work with the asylum seekers and they are a, a safe place for people who are absolutely bereft of anything. And some of you go once a month and you say, I don't mind, I'll stay up all night or I'll sleep as best I can. And Christians who work with those at the very bottom of the pile because we say Jesus is Lord of the whole universe. Langwithy Church down the road, a church that we connect with uh, quite regularly. They were telling me on Thursday or Friday that they do a breakfast club where they've got 
10 of the most vulnerable children in their little area in Langworthy come for breakfast. And they said that, you know, they, as they've looked at it, they realized, and it's obvious really, that when children are in a, in a gentle, quiet place and they can have breakfast, not with banging music and dancing games, but actually just a really quiet place, that actually that's an environment in which children will thrive because actually they're going into school fed, which they wouldn't have been, but they're going in in a frame of mind that actually they can learn. Why do you do that sort of stuff? You do it because Jesus is Lord. Or the, the dad who came into the Vine uh, coffee shop two weeks ago or thereabouts. And uh, they, his wife had just given birth to twins. And he just came in to say, they'd come and they'd looked for a little group. And they asked, Mary, is there a group of mums that meet here? Joe's group. And she said, yeah, there is. And dad came back in on his own a few days later he said I just want to say so I'm so grateful that the group of mums who've actually been able to love my wife you can cry now if you wish Joe why do you do that sort of stuff because Jesus is Lord why do we do this here because Jesus is Lord because actually as I gather with you who I don't know very well I'm not we wouldn't necessarily have met any other way. But actually, we believe that God brings us together to say we've got to demonstrate a different way. This is what it means to demonstrate the Lordship of Jesus. And Paul, in that 12th chapter, he says what the Spirit is doing, the Spirit of God is making it clear. He's making it possible. He begins that, ver you know, that little passage we read about spiritual gifts, which is one way of looking at it, but spiritual things is probably a stronger translation. About spiritual stuff, I don't want you to be ignorant. He said at one time, you were involved in all sorts of stuff, but now the Holy Spirit is actually making clear to you that Jesus is Lord. In our world, spirituality is a wide world, a wide word. It's about, you know, it's from ways of being healthy, ways to cope with the world. world. But the Spirit, the Spirit of God that was there at creation is there at the end of the story. The Spirit is the one who comes to us and makes it possible for us to say, Jesus is Lord. When I was a kid, I used to read this, um, you know. Uh, when I was a teenager, I used to sit in church services and I used to be quite bored. So I just sort of like, you know, once I'd read all the maps in the Bible at the back, um, I just sort of skipped through. And I, I, found, I remember finding this. I vividly remember it on a Sunday evening and uh, reading it. And Paul says, I tell you that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And as a 13-year-old, I'm thinking, that's, that's, anybody can say that. That's not hard, is it? Jesus be cursed, see? I said it. And no one can say, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves And it's kind of like, it's, but Paul's not meaning that. He's not, he's not actually saying it's just no one can say it. But at that time, if you said, Jesus is Lord, out loud, in public, you were making a massive statement. If you were, a believer in Jesus in some parts of the world now, and you were to say in public, Jesus is Lord, that would be no easy thing. 
you're in Saudi Arabia, if you're in the caliphate area where ISIS is trying to get that stronghold, and you pop your head above the parapet and you say, Jesus is Lord, that is no small thing. What gives you the courage? What gives you the ability that everything goes through that lens? Well, it's the Spirit. It's the Spirit who makes us, it makes it possible for us to live it out. And then he says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but God works all of them in everything. And what Paul is getting to is this way that if Jesus is Lord, if we're going to be modeling that, if we're going to be transformed by that central truth, then actually what might we expect the Spirit to do for us? And he uses three ways of saying the same thing, really. There's all sorts of different ways that God is going to use you. But actually, it's the same God. And just by the by, the Spirit, the Lord, and the fact that it's the same God, three things saying the same thing. It's kind of like that idea of the Trinity. God, three in one, one in three, actually is working in and through you. And how does that work? Well... Paul makes that big statement. To each is uh, one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge. To another, faith. To another, gifts of healing. To another, miraculous powers. To another, faith. Have I said that? Uh, to another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. What does the Spirit do to a body like ours, to a group like us? He gives us gifts. And the gifts come wrapped in a person. And they're all different. But listen to what the gifts are. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and interpreting them. And it strikes me that all of them, with the exception of tongues, all are needed when you're in a situation where you don't know what to do next. When are you going to need the gift of healing? <laughs> when you're hanging around with sick people. Val needed the gift of healing when she had a heart attack. When are you going to need knowledge? You're going to need knowledge when you don't know what to do next. When are you going to need wisdom? You're going to need wisdom when you're not sure how things are going to be. When are you going to need faith? You're going to need faith when actually everything looks bleak. When are you going to need miraculous powers? When you hit the wall and you go, there's nowhere else we can go. When are you going to need to distinguish between spirits? When you're in a situation and you go, there's something dodgy here, but I can't quite put my finger on it. When are you going to have to interpret different tongues when someone speaks and you have no idea what they're on about and you rely on God? In other words, the gifts of the Spirit come the more we place ourselves in situations where we go, God, I don't think we can do this. You know that I go around lots of different churches and lots of different situations. And you know what? I can, it's, it's, it's that thing, isn't it? When you go somewhere else, if you go to someone else's house, you can see all the things. Um, you know, 
Uh, Ian and Morag, have, they just, they're, they're getting to the stage where you, you think you've sold your house. You have sold your house. Yes, it, it, could, it, could, it could all fall through. Of course it could. I have to tell you, they told me how they told their house. They are the worst people to sell a house in the world. So this is how they did it. Um, so at first, Morag was saying to people who were coming, well, we have a few problems with damp. And, uh, you know, and that, tap, it, that tap would need replacing. That, that definitely needs replacing. So Ian said, no, that's rubbish way. So Morag said, you do it in that classic way. So Ian then comes, and Ian's worse at telling the truth about everything. It's just, and yet, they've sold their house. It's interesting, when you go to someone else's house, you see things that you might actually, you've just lived with. Yeah? If you've moved house, you know that. You walk in, you go, I couldn't live with that wallpaper. <laughs> Everybody says, couldn't live with that wallpaper. And, uh, and, you know, you see it clearly. And when I, sometimes when I work with other churches, you see things really clearly. And it becomes a challenge to ourselves, to me, because sometimes what I see is churches just going, actually, we're for us. We're for us. Was actually, the Spirit is to be, sends the church into the situations that look desperate. That's where we're sent to. That's where the gifts will be used. The gifts will be used when you don't know what's going to happen next. You will use the gift of wisdom and knowledge when you're in work and the rest of the team are going, I don't know how this is going to pan out. You will use the gifts of miraculous powers at work where someone says, humanly speaking, this is all going down the toilet. And you're the one behind the scenes praying in life into a dead situation. Faith comes into action where someone says, it doesn't have to be like this. Now, nobody has all of them. So we need one another because actually without one another, we're just snookered. We're too small. But the central principle is this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's the basic principle. The person sitting next to you is gifted by the Spirit for the sake of all of us. There is not one of us that's a passenger. There's not one of us. No, you shouldn't laugh, Connie. <laughs> There's not one of us that you look at and you go, actually, we, we, could probably, we could probably manage without you. There is no one who is not being gifted. And we've been gifted for the good of the church, that the church might act in the situations that look hopeless. I'm coming into land. So let me say some stuff to finish with. So if they are gifts for others, I have a responsibility to be open to using the gifts that I've been given by God. That's the implication. If they're gifts for other people, you've not been given it for yourself, you've been given it for other people. If they are gifts of the Holy Spirit, I can't claim to be the originator. Whatever you might be able to do, or the, however you see it, it's not because you're cleverer 
or that you are better read or that you've had better experiences. It's simply because the Spirit has gifted you in such a way. If they are gifts of the Spirit, then I, used to, I need to use them in a Jesus-like way. I think in Pentecostal circles sometimes, and charismatical circles, sometimes I get worried by the way some gifts seem to be used. Because they seem to be used to control people. Whereas actually, the gifts are there that others might thrive. Not that others might be... It, it's simply, you may be using the gifts, but actually you're using them, but not in a Jesus kind of way. And then, if they are signs of the Spirit, then we should expect that we are aware of them. I've got a final slide. And I've looked at this a number of times, and I'm, I've lost confidence in the slide, if I'm really honest. So before I get there, I'm going to tell you, this is not the greatest slide I've ever given you. But I've got one thing I want to say. I wonder whether, and this is a, a genuine wonder, but I'm wondering whether behind it, God might be stirring something. Whether it's time for us to be in places where we don't know quite what the outcome's going to be. I don't know what that looks like or means necessarily, but I'm just wondering whether actually we need to be in places where we're going to have to exercise more faith and more miraculous power and more gifts of healing because actually we're just being pushed out a little bit more. Let me tell you, for everybody, that's uncomfortable. But actually, the Spirit has said, I've given you what you need to be able to work in those places. So, what do we do? Well, we commit to grow. On, on, as an individual, your, the call to you is that you will pray that you might be aware of the gifts that God has given you. And that you will pray that you will grow in them. And you grow confident. In other words, it's kind of like the, the same way of saying to God, God, please, will you use me? And God says, yes, I will. And this is how I will use you. I will gift you in certain ways. The call to invest. The call to invest in the lives of others. You need to spend time. You can't practice and use the gifts of the Spirit if you don't spend time with other people. You can't, spend, you can't use the gifts of the Spirit if you're always on your own. You can't use the gifts of the Spirit if you're not in relationship. You can't use the gifts of the Spirit because you won't know what's needed. You need to invest time in situations and in people. And it's not all about it, them happening in a church service. But it is about them happening in a church context. So it's not just about what happens in an hour and a half on a Sunday, but actually... How are our relationships growing? You need to invest time with other people. And when the church is growing and when there's people that you don't know, it's easy for some of you to go, I don't know people anymore, so I'll just stay to myself. Because there's very few people who feel very uber confident to be able to go up to people and go, hello, my name is. Most of us feel, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. So you look around, you go, and increasingly this will be happening to you. Increasingly you'll look around and go, I don't, I don't recognize enough people. So I'll go. 
But actually, if you don't invest time, then you're unable to use the gifts that God gives you. You need to be free with them. And you need to offer them with no strings attached. And I'm going to pick on one because it's, it's one that often it, it comes across with. You might be the person with the gift of faith. There is no problem. There is only a challenge and an opportunity. <laughs> you know, you're the person who goes, there is not a problem here. We just need to go for it. And the rest of you are going, ah, I think there's a problem. No, there's no problem. It's just an opportunity. And it's like, and that gift, along with the gift of prophecy, sometimes becomes hard and brittle. And you go, if you don't do it, and you don't do it now, and you don't do it in the way I see it, then actually I don't think it's going to happen at all. And there's something about being freely offering, but offering with no strings. It's about being thankful for other people, being thankful for those who are different than you, being thankful for those who see things that are possible that you didn't imagine. We need the people of faith. We need the people of miraculous powers, as well as the people of knowledge and wisdom. And you need to be grateful for the people who are different than you. And finally, we choose to serve in humility. My perspective is not the only one, but it is needed. Your perspective is not the only one, but it is needed. And so we serve with humility. Paul writes to a church in Corinth that he said, the reason you're in Corinth is because you are a model of a very different kingdom. The reason we're here in Salford is because God loves our city. The reason he's brought people together like you and me is that we might be a model of a different way of living in Salford because God's not finished with Salford. And the reason he's gifted you and I is that we might know how to respond when we get into situations we don't know how to deal with. For all of us, when we pray, Lord, will you use us? God says, yes, I will use you, but I will take you beyond the areas where you feel comfortable into context where you don't know so that you will rely on me because then the gifts of the Spirit will be in evidence.